0: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: On this Friday, April 21st, we welcome you to Real Talk. It's Jesperson and Hicks. Although is it John? I don't know. I don't wait, know if it's wait. really you, man. I can't find your blue check mark. I'm oh not even sure if gosh. I am myself anymore. Questioning the validity <sighs> of my identity, stripped of the blue check mark yesterday on 420, which was just We're like so- sort, of, sort of a low blow from Elon <laughs> Musk and the team at Twitter losing the blue check mark on 420.
2: We lost it. Both of us lost it. Uh, well, I lost mine about three days ago. I forgot to mention it to yeah. you, and then yesterday. You exclaimed all of a sudden. Oh, <laughs> I was actually kind of excited. My blue checkmark is gone. And I said, don't worry. So is Katy Perry's. And so is uh, Harry Styles. And the Pope. And, and the Pope. And LeBron James still retaining his for some reason.
1: Yeah, well, because uh, uh, Elon Musk went on Twitter yesterday and people were pointing out that some folks kept their blue check marks. You know, most people are listening to this going like, who cares about who any of this? Yeah. Nobody cares about any of this, uh, except for maybe people that are paying eight dollars a month now mm-hmm. to have their check mark on Twitter, and we can get to that in just a bit. But uh, but um, LeBron Cam, uh, LeBron James camp pointing out. They said he's not paid for this. He's not because there's kind of I think there's going to be a stigma now. There's an assumption people are going to make fun of people now who have paid for their blue check mark. It totally defeats the purpose. There's mm-hmm. no point in having it. Elon Musk himself chimed in and said, "I'm personally paying." For some of these blue check marks, and that includes LeBron James and apparently author Stephen King, who's been very critical of Elon Musk and of Twitter since Elon bought it. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King going on the record, he says, I didn't pay for this. He says, it says that I've been assigned Twitter blue. I didn't sign up for this. And Elon Musk responds, you're welcome. Namaste.
2: But what's the criteria for keeping it? If Harry Styles doesn't have his, but LeBron James does, Little Nas X lost his, Katy Perry lost hers. All the big stars. I, I don't get it. What's the criteria for keeping it?
1: Yeah, now? it doesn't make any sense. For, for people that either don't care or... Or have no idea what we're talking about. The blue check mark in past, it's been a it's been a verification tool. So it was a yeah. way of Twitter saying that the 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 NY Times account is in fact the New York, New York Times. Times. It's not just some person that started that account as a parody of the biggest newspaper in the world out mm-hmm. of their basement. It actually is the New York Times. Yeah. And for a lot of people, like the small fish in the pond, like me, I remember when I got verified. I don't know five, six, seven years ago. It was like, oh wow, it's like, a great feeling. You know, Twitter Twitter's kind of like, okay, you are who you say. You are you're, you're you know you either are, are the head of a company or you're uh, you know a media personality or mm-hmm. an athlete or somebody people can trust that the information coming from this account is the person who the account purports to be now. If you pay eight dollars a month and subscribe to Twitter Blue, anybody can get a blue check mark. It's as the wild fact, west. I could start a Twitter <laughs> account with your name on it, and I could be verified as you. It's it's meaningless now. It's
2: really bad, and that's the thing. Like with especially with big stars, the ones I mentioned: Harry Styles, Katy Perry, Little Nas X. Nicki Minaj, all these. They have so many people, you know, fan accounts, people trying to be them, that now they're just lost in this muck and murk of yeah. a million other names that look like theirs. I couldn't believe it. Little Nas X, very, very popular rapper. Eight million followers on Twitter put up a little meme, which was basically him begging on the street for change, being like, how I look now that I don't have a blue check mark, and it's true. It's hard to promote yourself when you don't look like the real person.
1: Yeah, it is. You know who else lost his blue check mark yesterday? It was the titan of talk, Charles oh. Adler. He lost, it. so he had this. He tweeted this, and and he invoked. He pulled a, a magazine cover that I was on last year on Edify, uh, where I was, of course, in the bubble bath, John smoking a cigar, <laughs> this and uh, he says he this says is
2: hanging in my <laughs> Jerry, my bedroom. Yeah, that's right.
1: The Albertan <laughs> who opened one very big door to me in 2022 just is also without a blue check mark. Doesn't matter to me, Ryan. We'll still join you, the Prince of Podcasting, every Monday for Western Canada's foamiest Podcast. Mm -hmm. That's from Charles Adler who knows a thing or two about hustle and Mm -hmm. self-promotion. This is a a good opportunity for us to remind everybody that we're going to be off next week. Uh, Family Matters, and that means we're going to be back a week from now, but we are releasing the best of real talk every weekday morning mm-hmm. next week at, at 830 Mountain 1030 Eastern you'll be able to catch a special episode of, of moments that really resonated with us and some of the content special content original to those best of real talk episodes that'll be next Monday to Friday and then Chuck will be back with us mm-hmm. the Monday after and I like
2: how you package them kind of in like these two packs that they go together like well themes. you'll see yeah, yeah, yeah it's they're it's like
1: themed episodes that includes I mean that theme idea our real talk roundtable today as well presented by Urban Timber Earth Day, is tomorrow. Uh, So what? (laughs) Does it mean anything to you? I mean, I'm not being cynical, and I do believe we all need to save the planet, but what does a day like Earth Day mean to you? Will you turn off the porch lights a couple hours earlier? Will you replace a couple of light bulbs in your house to be more efficient? Will you you charge your phone in the off hours when there's less demand on the grid? I mean, what does it actually mean for you? We're going to bring in three players. We're Mm going to bring in three, as we say on this show, movers, shakers, and decision-makers Uh, from three different organizations or entities that are working to save the planet and improve the world around us. We're going to talk about reducing emissions. We're going to talk about reducing packaging. and, And this all starts in about 20 minutes from now. We're going to talk about the impact that climate change has on youth mental health. Fascinating research out of Athabasca University. But first, we want to remind you that this episode of Real Talk, every episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at We Know Training, why go with we know training well if you're an association if you're an organization a nonprofit that relies on training that has to be reputable that has to be done right if you're part of an association anywhere in canada where training is integral to your mandate you're going to want to trust that to the pros. You know, companies like we told you about yesterday, can sell. that's Ontario's provider of retail cannabis training, uh, they're trusting, they're among the partners that are trusting We Know Training for training that matters. You can check out how they're turning relationships into real wins, how they're de- delivering fully managed training solutions, taking the stress out of your success today at weknowtraining.ca. Our Earth Day Roundtable coming up in about 20 minutes time. But first, we want to take a look back at a video that I think it's fair to say shocked the world a short time ago. Uh, the leader, essentially, of Tibetan Buddhists around the world, the Dalai Lama, his holiness, interacting with a young boy. It's, a, it's, it's. I'm going to call it, uh, and this will be unpopular to some people, we're already getting blowback from some of you who are upset we're even tackling this. But that reiterates to me the importance of it. We'll talk about the cultural context here. We'll talk about the tradition and history. But if I'm being honest, if I'm going to give you real talk on a show named as such, it's a weird watch. Mm -hmm. Here's this preteen interacting with the Dalai Lama in India a short time ago. And so my
3: tongue.
4: (laughs) yeah for those of you listening on
1: the podcast the dalai lama invites the boy after kissing him on the forehead to suck his tongue and the boy appears to be incredibly uncomfortable throughout the situation and suck my tongue Uh, the dalai lama in follow-up or at least his team issuing an apology you know talking about how he regrets the incident but it's got people talking Uh, About a whole lot of things. And some of those discussions are being led by our guest kicking off this episode. Uh, Promoting Awareness Victim Empowerment is a charity that's leading an international movement, shattering the silence of sexual violence. It was founded uh, by our guest who's joining us this morning, Angela Rose. You may have seen interviews that, that she has done on uh, NBC, CNN, Fox News, ABC News, Good Morning America. She's talked to Time Magazine in the past. The point is she's got credibility here. And we're grateful that she's making time for us today. Can I acknowledge technical difficulties interrupted our conversation last week? And we're grateful you've made time for us again, Angela. Thanks for being with us today. What was the first thing you thought of when you saw that video for the first time?
5: Well, thank you so much for having me, Ryan. And as a survivor myself and as an advocate in this movement for over two decades, I can tell you this has been extremely triggering for survivors across the country and abroad. You know, I'm here in Chicago and I can tell you how difficult this has been for people to see because it's not just the act of what happened, but it is the aftermath. And the apology that was given was re-traumatizing for so many survivors of abuse who have seen their experience be shoved under the rug and for survivors that are still silenced. This has been a really difficult time for survivors and uh, I just want everyone to know who's listening. Ryan, so many of your listeners either know someone or have had an experience. And so I just want everyone to know that you are not alone and whatever you've been through, it is not your
1: fault. This statement of apology from the Dalai Lama's team says, quote, his holiness often teases people he meets in an innocent and playful way, even in public. And even before cameras, he regrets the incident. The statement did not specifically reference the kiss. What do you look for? How do you process a statement like what we saw from the Dalai Lama.
5: Well, I think that it's so disheartening when we hear about these types of apologies, not taking accountability or responsibility for such an act that was caught on camera. And I can tell you that these types of, you know, kind of institutions that try and cover up abuse, we've seen it in the Catholic abuse scandal. I grew up Catholic and I can tell you how difficult it was for me as a Catholic, as a survivor, to see how often perpetrators not only are not held accountable, but excuses are made for their actions that are, you know, so disgusting. And I think that, I think it is important you mentioned in your intro that we do look at Tibetan culture. We do know that the tongue sticking out is a form of respect it's culturally appropriate for tongues to be sticking out in that culture but that notion of sucking on the tongue there has been since this video came out the young boy did speak out publicly with his mom saying it didn't bother him which is fine to each survivor his own, but this has been very triggering for survivors across the country. And sexual abuse, Ryan, impacts so many people. One in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before the age of 18. So, so many of your listeners either haven't experienced themselves or everyone knows someone who's been through this. But unfortunately, it's still so silent. And when you see excuses and apologies, like what was made, it just helps to keep survivors silent and just keeps that re-traumatization
1: from perpetuating I want to credit Dilshad Berman uh with City News for coverage on this story and we do want to mention this I mean uh, Tibetans that spoke to this journalist have said that they described it as the darkest day of their life they're saying that the Dalai Lama video was misinterpreted and uh you know the reporters speaking to people like human rights activist Kemi Lamo who says our grandparents you know, they showed love and compassion in a similar way. You know, they'll touch foreheads, they'll they'll hug, they'll kiss, and kids will demand for more. And my grandpa will say, quote, I have nothing to give you. Now, what do you want? Do you want to eat my tongue too? Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this culture. I recognize, uh, you know, some of the nuance that needs to be part of this conversation. And of course, there are cultural sensitivities in all areas of life that need to be considered. So, so with sensitivity, but with also the blinders off and a mandate to speak from a position of what we know, uh, regardless of culture around the world, what we know about interactions between different people of different ages and vulnerabilities and everything else. How would you respond to a statement like that?
5: Well, I think it is important for people to understand the the cultural issues behind this. But the problem that I have and continue to have is that this could have been a real opportunity for His Holiness the Dalai Lama and everyone around him, his team, to talk about childhood sexual abuse. We've had a lot of people that are coming out, SNAP, the Survivors Network of Abuse by Priests. There's been a lot of people in our movement that are speaking out against this. This could have been a really important opportunity. To talk about these issues, something that has been silenced for far too long in all cultures. Sexual abuse does not just happen in one culture. It sees no boundaries. It sees no age. And I think that this is something that even with the Me Too movement, we still have a long way to go.
1: It's it's been interesting to see. I mean, there there have, I think have been expectations, and it, and it seems to be more the tabloid the tabloids that are, that are trying to get uh you know the Hollywood a listers on the record. They want to hear from Sharon Stone and Lady Gaga and Richard Gere and all you know all these actors and, and performers, celebrities that have have rubbed shoulders with the Dalai Lama over the years. It, there has been no statement on the record from any of them. Um, Quite frankly, if I'm advising any of them on this, they wouldn't be saying anything either. But what do you read into that? I mean, is this this some form of protection? Is this uh, them refusing to drag him into the mock where they don't believe he belongs? How, How are you processing that?
5: Well, the way that I see it, Ryan, is is this really does illustrate the notion of bystander intervention, which is the more people that witness a perceived act of violence, the less likely it is that anyone's going to intervene because people think, well, someone else is gonna do it or I don't wanna be the first one to say or do anything. And when it comes to issues of faith and someone who is in such a position of power, it is very difficult to speak up about something like this. And I will tell you that so many survivors find healing, myself included, in faith you know find solace in faith and so the fact that this happened by someone in such a high position of of power his holiness that's what really has has hit survivors so deeply because oftentimes survivors will speak out even about their own abuse to somebody In their church or in their church community and oftentimes people are woefully underprepared on how to deal with this so i just want to say in terms of resources that pave has some incredible free resources on our website at shatteringthesilence.org including a course on supporting survivors because all of us have an incredible role the first person that a survivor tells if they react well it's greatly going to impact that person's healing process
1: uh, I mean, you mentioned the Catholic Church, and I and I think that it's just such an obvious uh, reference point here. I mean, it was uh, to be honest, when I when I first saw this video, um, I, I was a, I was sort of a little bit in shock, to be honest, uh, at the very beginning. I watched it again to try to see if am I missing, and and I just am like, how do I wrap my mind? And then the the very all I could picture to be honest and like with apologies to to Catholics and their faith means a lot to them and I get it but also like no bullshit like when I see a, a bishop or a priest surrounded by altar boys I just my mind goes to such an obvious place with such a disgraceful history of of serial sexual abuse and predators being protected and promoted within the church that is a Fact, And I don't care if people don't like it or if it makes them uncomfortable, if it makes them think that I'm attacking the Holy Trinity. Uh, it's disgusting and society has allowed it to happen for way too long. Uh, Movies like Spotlight, I think, went a long way in forcing an international uh, real conversation about institutions mired in sexual assault and abuse. How are we doing, would you say, as a society after some of these revelations, after survivors have been bravely sharing their stories, after some of these spiritual leaders, uh, religious leaders have been tried and convicted and sentenced, some of them, how are we doing?
5: I think, Ryan, we are—we still have a long way to go. We have come a long way. I've been doing this work now since I was 17 years old. 25 years ago, I was catapulted into the role of activist after I was assaulted. I was kidnapped from a shopping mall parking lot, and I became very passionate about this because when I went down to report what happened to me, the detective didn't believe me, and there was nothing done on my case. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of serial perpetrators. My case, he was a repeat sex offender. I wasn't believed by the responding detective. Yet, I found out that this man was on parole for murdering a 15-year-old girl. He had a laundry list of crimes. And so, it's not just the crime that happens, it's how perpetrators are protected and how our society still wants to blame the victim. We still live, unfortunately, in a very victim-blaming society. Like, they asked me in court what I was wearing when I was kidnapped. Really? Difference, absolutely not. So I do feel like we we have come a long way, but we still do have a long way to go. We work with a with a man who was a former NFL player named John Vaughn, Mm. and he was assaulted at the University of Michigan by the team doctor, and this team doctor abused over a thousand times. So many of the male athletes that were there on campus, and he all he wanted was a meeting with the president of the university. He chained himself. He basically boycotted and and went in front of the president's house, camping, asking for a meeting, asking for the university to take this seriously. And that was... That never happened. The president of the university would walk out the back door, ignore him completely. So survivors voices are still being silenced, especially by institutions and people of power. And that needs to change. Wow.
1: Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Justice Robin Camp. This is a story a little more local to us, Angela, but there was a a pretty high profile Blow up uh, in the province of Alberta, where a, a court, a judge, a senior judge uh, in the province of Alberta, asked first of all, uh, mistakenly uh, referred to a, a plaintiff as the defendant, uh, and then asked her uh, in, a, in a, this was in a rape trial, why she didn't keep her legs closed. Uh, if you can believe it, that was from the bench uh, And this was, it was a major story In Alberta, and I think across the country It's safe to say, uh, because it prompted A lot of conversations around like Institutional attitudes, you know Whether Crown prosecutors and judges Were well equipped enough uh, To be hearing these trials, you know Whether uh, police investigators had Required, you know, or, or had enough Training required of them uh, to be You know, sort of the, the first responders in these Types of scenarios, doing these interviews yeah, You know, the sexual assault, uh, the these these obviously, um, I don't want to say degrading, but, you know, I mean, you know, oftentimes when a, a survivor of a sexual assault or a victim of a sexual assault is, goes to the hospital and they're collecting DNA evidence, and it's just such a, a horrific experience for everybody. And we understand the need to scale up our knowledge and our awareness around that, yet still we see people protected, don't we? We we, we still see so much work to be done based on your personal experience as a teen, um, and, and the way that you responded to that, I mean, founding PAVE and traveling the country I'm traveling even outside the United States to speak about this and doing the, the so-called media interviews. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't sign up for that. A lot of people would find it to be re-traumatizing. People deal with the very real uh, PTSD and everything that comes with it. What was different for you? What prompted you uh, to make a life out of this, to make this your calling?
5: Well, it's a great question, Ryan. And for me, I had incredible support from my family that so many survivors, unfortunately, do not have. So my father, my mother, my grandmother, They were so incredibly supportive to me after this happened. And let me be very clear. Mine was a stranger assault where more often than not, the majority of the time, it's somebody that we know and we trust that are committing these crimes. It's a family member. It's a date. It's an acquaintance. It's a coach. It's a coworker. It's someone that's known to us. And when that happens, Ryan, it's so much harder sometimes for people to speak out. But of course, I had my share of post-traumatic stress disorder. It's an interesting thing when your whole body is responding to something as simple as a shadow behind you, or when I wash my face at night, I would constantly feel like someone was behind me. But when you're in it, you can't see it. So getting a great therapist was very helpful for me. But I always knew, Ryan, that this was bigger than me. I always felt this because so many people were disclosing to me right after this happened. And again, with that notion of support, I was able to meet and work with the family of the girl that he had killed. Her name was Julie Angel. And I truly felt like, and I still feel like she was my guardian angel, but I worked with Julie's mother and sister, and this is when I was a teenager, but we really felt helpless because sexual assault is a crime of power and control. So you want to allow survivors to do whatever they can to get their power back. And the way that I did that is we started a petition drive stating the need for tougher laws for repeat sex offenders. And with the whole community, we were able to get five, 6,000 signatures on these petitions and get a law changed that's called the Sexually Violent Persons Commitment Act. So I felt very early on, so many people were disclosing to me and sharing with me that they had this experience, but they had never told anyone. I heard from countless survivors, men and women, that they had been through some type of sexual trauma but they had never told anyone and they felt such shame. And so I really wanted to create something that would just try and make a difference in the world. And so PAVE does take a positive approach. We do a lot of work in high schools, in junior high schools, educating on healthy relationships, educating on consent, educating on bystander intervention and how to support survivors. And then on the flip side, so we do the prevention work, but then we also help survivors thrive after trauma. I married my best friend. We have two amazing kids. I'm living a happy, joyful life. And I just want survivors to know that living a happy, joyful life is absolutely possible after trauma, but it does include a choice to heal. Healing is a choice. It's not linear. It's not always all the way up. Sometimes it's bumpy in the road, but you can heal and there is joy on the other side.
1: Uh, remarkable story, Angela. Before we go, can, can I just ask you about red flags? Um, I know that you work with people and, and coach people and help people understand uh, dynamics and, and when they become uh, you know problematic, when warning signs exist. And whether that's in religious institutions, educational institutions, uh, sporting structure. I mean, you name it. Could be anything. A piano instructor, a next door neighbor. Obviously, uh, these happen uh, in many different contexts. What are some red flags that parents should be keeping an, out, uh, an eye out for that, that might not be um, you know, obvious and apparent on the surface? That's a
5: great question. So we see oftentimes uh, people in positions of power, coaches, teachers, friends of the family that groom children into sexual abuse. And so what these perpetrators will do is that they will form friendships and bonds with these children. And again, sexual abuse is rampant. And I know it's not something that we like to talk about. It's difficult, but we have to talk about these things. And so we talk a lot about safe versus unsafe secrets and safe versus unsafe touch. And so there are so many things where if you're, you know, also allowing children to follow their own gut instinct and their own body autonomy. If, if you know, my son doesn't wanna hug Uncle Jimmy, like you don't force them to do that. You can teach consent and body autonomy very, very young. I ask my kids for a hug. I'm not going to force a hug on them. When, you know, if we do a tickle game, they say, stop, I stop. It's important for them to realize that their voice matters and to, and there's age appropriate ways that we can talk about these things. There's great books, like my body belongs to me is one. There's so many great books out there that you can talk to your children about this, but perpetrators are often going to use friendship, and you know creating these spaces where they take the children away from you know from parents they're staying after school whatever that looks like and it's important for students to follow their gut instinct you know i as a teenager at 17 i saw this guy behind me he looked like a perpetrator i mean if you can imagine one sure. In, but i didn't listen to my gut instinct human beings are the only mammals on the planet that don't listen to their gut instinct not to say that's the survivor's fault i blamed myself for years thinking what i could have done differently so it's not the survivor's fault but we do want to honor that god-given gut instinct So
1: I think that's important as well. I'm so grateful uh, you've made yourself available to the show. And again, thanks for rescheduling. We really appreciate it. We were devastated when we didn't get a chance to talk to you, Angela. Uh, Angela Rose is the founder of PAVE. That's Promoting Awareness, Victim, Empowerment. You can learn more about what they're doing. Shattering the Silence of Sexual Violence at shatteringthesilence.org. Be well, my friend, and thanks for doing this. Thank you. Appreciate you, Ryan. You got it. If you want to respond to what you've just heard here, if you you feel like uh, we misrepresented the story, if you feel like we missed an angle, if something that Angela said resonated with you as truth, you can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Of course, you can hit us up using our hashtag, #RealTalkerJ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You can follow us on all those platforms. And of course, you can always participate in our live chat as well. Uh, appreciate that. I see the live chat's getting into it right now, talking politics, which is totally fine. It's this community <laughs> that gathers every weekday morning at 8:30 Mountain. That's 1030 Eastern. You gotta be live streaming to take part in the live chat. That's the beauty of it. And we also appreciate everybody that's joining us uh, live streaming audio on the Mixler live streaming audio app. We're gonna get to our Earth Day Real Talk Roundtable in just a second. Three expert voices I'm really looking forward to, to hearing this from. And you know how the the roundtable works on Real Talk, right? We we invite our guests to basically treat it like we're out for coffees or beers and to feel free to interact with one another. It's a little bit more of a casual or a candid vibe as we kind of kick the ball around, you know, and we, we, we talk about our different uh, perspectives and thoughts on something that's relevant. In this case, that is tomorrow, April 22nd. Earth Day, which will be recognized around the world. These conversations are presented on Real Talk by sponsors like our friends at Eden Landscaping, and you can check them out online right now at landscapeedmonton.ca. For more than 20 years, Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping have been bringing outdoor spaces to life, and this is one of these really fun experiences for us as a family. I'm going to get to tell you and ultimately show you What our personal experience has been like We hired Mike And we've got a budget we're working with as a family But we've given him a pretty specific assignment Uh, Make our yard look like It's not Bomb central The dogs and the damage they've done to our lawn Has it looking like Somebody's been treating that place with I don't know, John, pickaxes and shovels? It doesn't look like I've been mowing and maintaining this place. We need Mike to reinvent it for us to make the space usable for family activities like kicking that soccer ball around, but also perfect for entertaining the adults later at night. I can't wait to show you how they're responding to our specific asks and doing it with the budget that we put in front of them. That's the beauty of working with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. You never know who's going to be listening to an episode of Real Talk right now. Are you a recent graduate of an engineering program somewhere in Canada? Are you a professional engineer with years of experience under your belt? If you're looking for a fresh start or if you'd like to join forces with a team that's putting people over profits and rapidly expanding, may we recommend you check out apexautomation.ca. You go to the careers link there and you can see what they've got available right now. They're literally always hiring extraordinary people, providing opportunities to develop and reach your full potential technically and as a human being. At Apex, they believe people don't leave companies, people leave people. Explore your new career today at apexautomation.ca. Also want to give a big shout out to our friends at uh, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And uh, John, I'm going to load up this. This is uh, dedicated to everybody who's joining us on, on YouTube right now so they can see this. I want to show them the Dairy Queen baseline account. This is the one out of Sherwood Park on Instagram. Why? I don't know why this video resonated with me so much, but if you've traveled anywhere where churros are a thing, you know how much a churro can change your day? It's one of the most delightful indulgences on planet Earth. <laughs> wow. The new churro dip cone. Yeah, that's right. Famous Dairy Queen soft serve. You know that that little twirl they do at the top? Of Nobody course, does yeah. it like the team at DQ. They dip it in churro flavored cone coating and then top it with cinnamon sugar. It doesn't get any better than this. The 4-year-olds in your life will love it. The 84-year-olds in your life will love it. The churro cone from Palisades to Newcastle, Westmount and Baseline Road DQ's. And of course, you know, every Friday, these Real Talk roundtables are presented by our friends at Urban Timber. They're the ones who designed, built, delivered, and are maintaining this beautiful table, this oak table in our Real Talk studio. And they're also the ones they'd love to do it the exact same way for you. You can check it out at urbantimber.ca. Their new showroom location is also open Saturdays from 10 to 4. In particular, check out the Boxcar Collection. This is custom furniture that's been designed, that's been constructed using the planks of the boxcars, literally rail cars from back in the day. So no two project is alike. And don't forget, they've also got the premium wood siding and decking. If you're reinventing your outdoor space, trust it to Urban Timber at urbantimber.ca. Earth Day is April 22nd, and it means that, of course, people around the world are going to be looking at their own lives, ideally, anyway, and trying to figure out what they can do to make less of an impact, to to lessen their footprint on planet Earth. Uh, For some, it'll be within the household. For others, it may be in their place of work. And for others, like the three guests we're about to welcome to the show, it may be big, bold audacious plans to transform the way that humans interact with this planet. Nicole Rycroft is the founder of Canopy, and we're grateful to have her joining us today. We're going to be talking about packaging with Nicole. Justin Reimer is the CEO of Emissions Reduction Alberta, and we're going to be talking about some of the work that's happening right here in our home province to cut down on emissions. And Dr. Gina Martin is a professor and researcher at Athabasca University. There's new data out that's showing a parallel, a link between climate change and youth mental health. And we wanted that to be an important part of this conversation. A warm welcome to the three of you, and thank you so much uh, for joining us. Nicole, why don't we start with you at at Canopy? You've got a a pretty cool new thing going on. There's a big, audacious plan, and we're talking about packaging and, of course, a whole lot of other things as well. Will you
6: take us into this? Uh, sure, thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here. Um, so uh, there uh, is a project affiliated with Ted as in the red dot TED talks that we all we all love and adore and get inspired by. Um, and it's called the Audacious Project. and audacious basically look for organizations, NGOs that are have bold game-changing ideas. Uh, and then look to gather a a community of philanthropists and then fund those ideas to really scale ambitiously. And so Canopy is one of this year's um, Audacious Project recipients alongside of nine other really fantastic organizations and NGOs who are doing game-changing work globally. Um, And we've received um, a $60 million Uh, commitment from the audacious community over the uh, next six and a half years to remove ancient and endangered forests from our pulp, paper, viscose, and packaging supply chains. And do that by scaling the production of low-carbon, circular next-gen alternatives. So rather than us burning straw that's left over after the food grain harvest in the field or, um, you know, the 100 billion items of clothing that are produced every year, 60% of those are in landfill uh, within the first 12 months, Uh, but they are perfect if they're sent to a pulp mill uh, rather than to landfill uh, to make next season's clothing. And so our focus is really going to be on how do we scale up uh, these game-changing, low-carbon and low-impact on biodiversity, next-gen solutions so that we can remove all ancient and endangered forests from the supply chain and ultimately keep them standing so that they can stabilize our climate and be home for the critical biodiversity that we share this planet with.
1: Uh, people can check out more about this specific project online at nextgenow.canopyplanet.org and we'll have that in the show notes on the podcast or on YouTube if people want it, to click on it. Uh, do you think that the world is aware right now when we talk about deforestation? I mean, I, rem- I remember a lot of talk when I was coming up in elementary, junior high school about what was happening in Brazil, and then you you see you see sort of the Fairy Creek stuff on Canada's west coast, and it puts it back on people's radar for a little bit. Uh, but if, but if you were to assess it, if if, if you know if you're a physician delivering a diagnosis here. Uh, Where are we at?
6: Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of work to do, um, which is why this level of support by the audacious community is really remarkable. There are there are five billion trees uh, that disappear into paper, paper based packaging and uh, tree based textiles like rayon and viscose every year. Um, We are smarter than mowing down 400 and 800 year old trees uh, in 2023 uh, to make pizza boxes and t-shirts. We have to be. Um, and so really that's what this work is about. Um, you know, we're putting on our skates. There's incredible opportunities for the scaling of next gen all around the world. Um, but also here in Canada, there's a, there's incredible opportunity for us to be transitioning away from uh, continuing to log iconic old growth forests like we have here in British Columbia, um, as well as across the boreal and replace it with these lower-carbon alternatives that are currently treated by us as waste materials. Uh,
1: Dr. Martin, this is uh, fascinating research, and people can check it out online at news.athabascau.ca. Again, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, The question, uh, research with reach, uh, or to the Faculty of Health Disciplines and Research, is climate change hurting teen mental health? Uh, When you're hearing Nicole talk about deforestation, uh, do today's young people know more about it or does it bother them more or are they more hyper aware of some of these issues than the generations before them? What do we know about today's youth and how they approach the health of planet Earth?
3: Yeah, so we do know that young people today are reporting a lot of anxiety and worry around the state of the planet. Um, But what we don't really know that much about is how this is really experienced and how they're coping with that. And so what we've been doing is some focus group work with young people where we ask them about the feelings that they have around climate change. um, What comes up when they think about climate change and also how they're able to cope with that Um, and also what sort of supports they'd like to have moving forward. So we know that young people are active agents in climate action. Um, But this is also a really important developmental time for them, and so we want to be able to support them to be able to act in ways that are meaningful to them, Um, but also recognizing that, you know, we need to support them um, to do what's important to them, while also considering the impact that it could have on their mental well-being. And what we don't want is people feeling so overwhelmed that they feel like there's no point in acting anymore. So we want to be able to have these conversations so that we can move um, move forward together, but still also you, building an understanding of what sort of supports are needed and wanted.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You're talking uh, to, to kids, this national study, young people, uh, aged 13 to 18, and uh, w- when you're asking them, and, and, and again, I, I recognize that this research is happening as we speak, so, so I won't be asking you for any conclusions at this point, uh, but when you're asking them about resources or where they turn for credible information or if they feel supported or, to put it candidly, if the older people even care about this stuff, what are they telling you?
3: Yeah, so a lot of different emotions come out when we do our sort of brainstorming sessions around what emotions are prevalent. So we do hear a lot about worry and anxiety, but on the flip side of that, we also hear about motivation and also inspiration. So feeling inspired by things that other people are doing. And so I think it's important that as we move forward, um, we do when we're doing studies, we look often at hope and optimism, which are really, really key important parts, but sometimes we overlook that motivation piece. And so we wanna understand that. And so that's something that the young people are telling us, like there's, there's space there to look at that as we move forward in our research. Um, another thing that we're hearing is that when we asked about supports, um, the supports that people have is that ability to have conversations with peers or family, But another support that they want is good information from trusted sources about what's happening and what they can do. And so that is something that some people feel is missing. And that's something that we can work towards, um, you know, improving in order to best support young people. And we were really surprised because we were asking about supports and didn't think information would come out during that conversation. And that's where it came out. So I think that there's a lot of work we can do um, to improve the way that we are supporting young people um, as they are going through this important developmental time, but also existing with their knowledge of the changing climate. Mm.
1: Uh, Justin, you're the CEO of Emissions Reduction Alberta obviously a pretty significant week uh, and and I guess depending on who you talk to but you you can't ignore the fact that Alberta released a climate plan um, and I would encourage all of you to comment on that this half hour and use this time um, to to share your thoughts on it but it does commit for the first time Alberta goes on the record committing to to net zero emissions by 2050. Uh, Can you bring us up to speed before we get into some of the specific projects about the mandate for emissions reductions Alberta and then some of the work that's being done to achieve that? Yes, thanks, Ryan. Really pleasure to
4: be here and thanks for the invitation. So you mentioned the plan and it was a significant release by the Alberta government this week. uh, And ERA, Emissions Reduction Alberta, is one of the delivery agents for that plan. So we've been around for over a decade and most people don't recognize that Alberta was actually one of the first jurisdictions in North America to put a price on carbon. And so the large industrial emitters put funding uh, through that carbon tax into uh, the the provincial government coffers. And we actually invest a portion of that funding into technology that will both reduce emissions, reduce greenhouse gases, and uh, create economic uh, opportunity within the province. And we've had An extraordinary uh, privilege to be part of some fascinating uh, uh, projects within the province over the past several years. And speaking to the inspiration and hope that Gina was talking about, there really is a lot of things going on in this province around emissions reduction uh, that uh, most people aren't aware of. So, for instance, this will be the first year uh, that Alberta is completely off coal-fired electricity in in Alberta, and that's astonishing. It's seven years ahead of the federal schedule, and then that's a really big deal. Um, There's uh, a huge advancements being made in methane reduction. Uh, We're on target to reduce methane reduction in the oil and gas industry by 45 percent by 2025 through a mixture of policy incentives, regulations, and technology that we've helped to fund. Some of the very interesting projects that we've funded in emissions reduction Alberta are things like the CP hydrogen train. So this is the first of its kind in North America, a freight locomotive powered by hydrogen. There's three locomotives in service now, and we're hoping to see many more into the future. Um, uh, we also are also funding uh, hydrogen buses and hydrogen uh, heavy vehicles uh, for demonstration purposes right now within the province, and hope to see those scale up. We're funding things like drones that plant trees uh, as per Nicole's uh, area of of focus in hard to reach areas or in areas that are burnt out uh, in terms of uh, uh, reforestation, difficult to access areas for tree planters. We're doing things like um, blending uh, hydrogen into natural gas distribution lines uh, to heat homes and businesses um, and taking uh, renewable energy uh, opportunities through high quality fertilizer and food waste. We're also very focused on the circular economy. So um, the big mining tires that you see in Fort McMurray, uh, most of those have not been recycled. And we've just recently invested in a company that's going to be taking those large tires and recycling uh, them and shredding them essentially and putting them into uh, new uh, recyclable uh, uh, material for, for new tires. Uh, asphalt shingles is another area that we're recycling uh, and supporting. There's a, there's a variety of great things happening uh, in this province and it's important that we get that information out so that others can join in on the movement ar- around emissions reduction. It doesn't have to mean there, there has to be an economic nat- uh, a negative. This can both uh, achieve both economic and job opportunities within the province and uh, as well as emissions reduction. I think one of the biggest areas of focus over the next little while is carbon capture and sequestration. Uh, You've seen some announcements recently, uh, the um, Heidelberg concrete facility in in Edmonton has announced uh, one of the first uh, uh, concrete plants in the world to pursue carbon capture uh, sequestration. We're looking at power generation and fertilizer plants doing the same along with our oil sands plants. So we're really excited about the opportunities in, in uh, this area o- over the next foreseeable future it's interesting i was
1: uh, when, when you talk about the sort of the the economic angle on this it doesn't always have to be winners and losers i think it's probably obvious to suggest that there has to be at least some form of an economic case for environmental progress, um, Nicole, I'd be curious for your thoughts on this. I'm even looking into our live chat right now. Super engaged audience. You know, you know, Catamist Rex says obviously more biodegradable plastic would be a great start. Uh, others are saying hemp plant proteins that mimic plastic but are but are biodegradable. And then and then here's the rub. Somebody says, well, yeah, but a lot of companies may not use this technology because it's probably more expensive. Uh, that's probably relevant to conversations about packaging.
6: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a It's a perception that anything that's greener um, uh, has got to be more expensive. And, Mm. you know, there is something to be said about economy of scale. Now, the way that goods are able to be so uh, cheap as they currently are is because there's an economy of scale of production associated with them. Um, uh, And so with any new technology that's coming uh, to the fore, if you're only producing it at a very small scale, then it's gonna be, of course, it's gonna be difficult uh, to hit the same price points. But at scale, uh, there is um, actually the numbers that we've looked at shows that you can make straw-based packaging for shipping boxes and you know the packaging that comes around most of the household goods that we all buy. Um, that can be manufactured cheaper, um, if not at price parity, uh, to conventional wood-based packaging. Mm. The raw material costs less generally, it takes less water, less chemicals, less energy to take straw and turn it into pulp to then make packaging than it does to cut down trees. And the same is true, probably with uh, a little bit more scale up required on the textile side, um, in that when you cut down a tree, something that can give you a splinter, uh, and then try and break it down to that kind of just the pure cellulose that's going to be that soft silky fabric next to your skin you can imagine it's an incredibly energy intensive process there's a lot of water there's a lot of chemicals and you also lose a lot of yield um, if you put a tree into the front end of a of a pulp mill that's going to make a viscose or a rayon fabric out the other end then generally some pulp mills only have a 22 yield and some of them have just over 40%. So you're wasting up to 60% or losing 60% of the forest uh, in terms of the fiber that ultimately comes out the other end. Where if you put a T-shirt in, a cotton T-shirt, you'll end up with 99 to 100% of that fiber coming out the other end. So uh, as these mills are being built at scale um, and not just one we have the first next-gen mill for viscose production now up and operating uh, in northern sweden as the second and third mill uh get built for that um it's anticipated that that product will be at price parity but for packaging there's no reason that a commercial grade mill um, would not be at price parity um, immediately to uh,
1: I, I'm curious for, for all three of your take on this and and maybe dr. Martin will start with you like you know as, as we're talking about packaging Nicole I'm thinking of, of times where I've like felt sick to my stomach and that like I'm part of the problem or I am the problem um, we try to shop local as much as we can we try to not just have it be a buzzword but every once in a while you do order something on Amazon or every once in a while sure. you do order something to be shipped to your home and everyone I think has experienced that that sort of guilt where you you figure they must have shipped you the wrong thing because the box that arrives is the size of a, of a commercial printer And it's filled with all sorts of You know insulation and whatever And plastics and you just go oh my gosh And you've ordered okay. like a pair of socks or something um, yeah. You know Gina do, do, the, uh, do, do, the, do the young people of today Let's say the leaders of tomorrow Are they approaching everyday tasks Buying habits Perspectives on energy use Differently Like demonstrably differently Than the generation before them I mean is that evident Is it obvious
3: Um, I think there's a raising awareness. And I would say to what young people sometimes are reporting as a feeling of guilt or frustration. Um, But these are larger systemic issues. So we do live in a society where, you know, making um, these individual choices, we have the ability to make some choices. But then, you know, like you said, sometimes you order something from Amazon. And so it's important to be able to have these discussions around how we feel about these things to not necessarily slip into, oh, you know, I'm a horrible person. Um, and so I think I think what one of the benefits about this sort of work that um, I'm doing and other researchers are doing is that it's giving a bit of a language so that we can have these discussions around these feelings, instead of just sort of sitting with them, because we've all experienced that. I think where we, you know, we try our best, and then something happens, and then we feel a, an extreme amount of guilt and frustration. Um, so young people are definitely experiencing that. I think that it's important in terms of our messaging to know these are these are large systemic issues that we're we're dealing with as well so that it's not always put onto the individual.
1: Yeah, I want to I ask the three of you about that. And by the way, we're, we're going to get personal in a few minutes. I want to ask the three of you about your personal perspectives on Earth Day and and what are you going to do about it. So I'll give you the heads up on that so you have a second to think about it. But but Justin, what do you note in industry? Like, we'll talk about, you know, people talk about the big emitters or they talk about big industry. And, and, and I'm not being facetious. Obviously, uh, you know, a big part of climate change has been caused by, you know, industrialization and the big emitters and, and, and all around planet Earth uh, in countries including Canada and a big part of our economy depends on that what do you when you look around you do you see uh you know sort of like a a willingness do you see an acknowledgement from industry of the role that industry needs to play do you see a recognition of the importance of telling those stories of uh, you know i know that people bristle at the concept of social license but i do think that it is a thing certainly is a thing i mean what are you noticing with regards to how attitudes are changing or not in industry
4: yeah, it's a great question, Ryan. So I've seen a marked change in industry in, in a number of areas over the past few years. More recently, an intensified focus on things like decarbonization and in, uh, improving social license. And it's where the world is moving in terms of this net zero commitment. Um, we're seeing tangible investments being made by large and small companies to address their carbon fr- footprint. and. Policy has helped obviously and and, uh, and incentives and and, uh, regulatory uh, commitments by governments has obviously motivated uh, companies to now see that this is uh an investment that they need to make in order to sustain themselves longer term. So I think you know, the whole climate change and emission reductions and environmental sustainability be, has been talked about for a long, long time in this in this province and, and globally, but we're starting to see much more significant industrial investment in this area uh more recently and and the uh actions uh, are backing up the words that were spoken earlier um we are seeing a, a marked change uh in, in this area i wanted to go back to one tangible example uh, of uh, a circular economy investment that uh, nicole was talking about in terms of hemp production so we invested in a company in uh, Vegreville, alberta who is taking hemp and making uh, vehicle panels and marine panels uh, for uh, automotive manufacturers now. So in in your door panels, you'll actually have hemp produced um, panels rather than plastic and carbon and other fibers that have been uh, developed in the past. And it's a great example of um, creating renewable uh uh crops and 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 productive crops for for our farmers giving them another outlet uh for uh production and distribution and doing something uh improved for our environment and there's so many of those examples happening all over uh, all over the province
6: and ryan if i can yeah. tag on to what justin just said um you know supply chains don't sound very sexy um but when it comes to slicing our climate supply chains are the hottest topic on the planet, right? That's where, you know, more than 50% of our society's footprints lies in the impacts of supply chain and specifically how raw materials are sourced to make the products. And so we have also seen a huge shift uh, in the kind of like concern and action being taken by business leaders. Uh, Obviously, we're working in different verticals. Um, we're working in the fashion industry around companies that use a lot of packaging, be they food or the beauty and personal care uh, sectors. But when these companies take action, you know, the H&Ms of the world, the Stella McCartneys, the uh, then it sends a signal back through their supply chain that really creates ripples. And then ultimately, it makes it easier for all of us as individuals, even in that kind of 13 to 18-year-old zone, to actually... Live more sustainably because the products are more easily uh, available.
1: Nicole, we had I had a fascinating conversation last night. It was in a totally different context. It was it was about wealthy landowners sitting on land doing nothing with it in cities downtown cores and how that can devastate a city's you know core development and that sort of a thing. But the point is, around the table, a great debate on on what's more effective: the carrot or the stick, the incentive uh-huh. or or the disincentive, uh, when it comes to packaging, when it comes to getting industry on board, when it comes to individual companies driven by profit, and there's nothing wrong with profit, but driven yep. by profit, where do you land? Like, what 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 religion do you believe? Uh, I ask that, of course, in candid fashion, but what do you think is the okay. smartest way to, to influence or impact change in industry?
6: Yeah, uh, well, that is a, a question that the NGO community wrestle with constantly. Uh, so Canopy is a solutions-driven NGO where we would be a pointy carrot organization. Um, So we really work with brand partners to chart a path uh, for change and to then engage their suppliers uh, in that process, as well as identify where are those game-changing solutions? Are they stuck away in a university basement somewhere and need to be kind of broken out into the marketplace and how how can we enable that? But there's definitely room for, and I think we've seen the power of you know, legislative initiatives that say, like in Europe, there's a ban on the landfilling of textiles post the end of 2024. That has injected huge momentum into the transition to more circular production uh, in the textile industry. Um, so those kinds of you need both. Um, I wonder I, I, this it's kind of a
1: question for the the whole panel Nicole I appreciate you bringing that up again the idea we we call it fast fashion right Um, you know Dr. Martin like I don't know if we'll see attitudes change on how people approach approach clothing and fashion and the way we express ourselves through what we wear but I I, I see even just little trends but they're maybe not so little of people doing like clothing exchanges or people on Instagram story like selling the old coat or the pair of Fluvok boots that they love but that still have life it just seems like more people are are open to that and are, are, are recognizing it It's, it's like for me I, I pay attention to stories where the big stuff's Happening like what Justin's talking about And then I also love this, the microcosm Stuff the, the impact that people are making Or the steps that people are taking in their own Orbit
3: yeah, absolutely, and I think in terms of young people, we have seen an awareness of fast fashion specifically. If we're using that example, and looking for alternatives and doing things like clothing swaps, you know, being part of online communities where you can exchange the clothes that you have to keep clothes out of the landfill and also um, reduce some of that need to purchase newer clothes, um, considering the you know concerns around fast fashion, and so I think. From that, you can really take that young people really are a driving force. They're trendsetters, and they're they're making their um, concerns known, also with their purchasing power, or by you know using that power to um, not purchase. And so, I think that that's a really powerful example. And I think also when you see these these sorts of stories too, it can be really inspirational. Um, mm-hmm. And. That's important too. like to, to hold on to the fact that even though things can be um, quite dark, there's also these amazing inspirational stories that are happening and that we have come quite far and so that is always useful in terms of fostering some hope and and motivation to keep moving forward
1: I love that you're talking inspiration and hope and motivation and these are the words that we want to wrap the weep the week up with I mean uh, there's so there's there's so many discouraging elements to the new cycle and, and that's real life but but also I think these reminders are so important that there's good work being done there's recognition there's there's technological advancement and mm-hmm. research and and like Nicole's talking about fun being committed to it. So stuff can actually happen. Uh, let me ask you the three of this in closing and, and and maybe Dr. Martin, will start with you. What motivates you? Why are you doing what you're doing? And uh, maybe an observation or two from a personal perspective on, on how you'll approach Earth Day on April 22nd. That's on Saturday.
3: Yeah. Um. So I, this is something I reflect on a lot. And one of the reasons I think that the work I'm doing is really personal and important to me is you know as a young climate activist who was doing work and you know starting to feel really overwhelmed i just didn't when i was feeling that way i didn't have anyone to really speak to back then so i feel like we're having these conversations and even though the research is still evolving i think having this language and recognizing that you know there can be a bit of a toll from this work this is hard work it it takes our energy um just understanding how we work together and support each other and moving this sort of conversation forward really keeps me going. In terms of what I will be doing on Earth Day, um, as part of my community, we've organized a, an Earth Fest and we're, our theme is celebrating successes. So big and small, we've got um, organizations coming and setting up booths, but we've also um, you know, highlighted a few Local success stories where we've made, you know, posters where people can come and it's going to be um, presented in our local library. Um, one of the success stories is our local bike bus that our school does. So um, I was just doing that this morning <laughs> before hopping on this call. So, yeah, it's it's good work and it's really inspirational, but it's also fun. It's fun to be part of the bike bus. And it's, you know, it's, it's not... Um, necessarily taxing when we're doing it together, although at times it can be.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, there's a lot of heavy lifting to be done, but but sometimes that's when your heart gets filled the most is that you get reminded of, of what drives your purpose. Uh, Justin, how about you?
4: Yeah. So, Ryan, I've been doing economic de- development my entire career. So I've been in the business of selling hope and opportunity for such a long time. Joining Emissions Reduction Alberta has given me this great opportunity to work with an amazing team and mandate to actually Help to uh, promote economic opportunity in conjunction with reducing our emissions and both can be done. It's not an either or, as we talked about, and this province has some amazing uh, advantages in terms of doing uh, some significant decarbonization and uh, emissions reduction opportunities into the future. And we're seeing new businesses and, and new sectors of opportunity created as a result. So that really inspires and motivates me. As far as what I'm doing, I'm very practical on Earth Day. I'm actually getting a high efficiency furnace installed. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'm sorry for your pocketbook, but congratulations yeah. <laughs> on the. Yeah, we just replaced. We
1: just got a high efficiency hot water tank, and uh, yeah, not cheap, but hey, it's paying immediate. It's paying immediate dividends. So happy to do it, and happy to make that investment. Uh, Nicole, we'll give last word
6: to you. Sure. Uh well for me the I get out of bed every day because I have a passion for wild places and the people and the species that we share this planet with. Um and a conviction that we, you know, can be doing things in a smarter way. Uh so that that definitely puts fire in my belly. Um, as well as just, you know, I, I have an ethos that no one wants to join the army of the glum. And so if you can be out there forging solutions and talking about that, then hopefully that's contagious as well um and then you know as a professional tree hugger every day is birthday um kind of in in my in my world that uh i'll be taking a moment tomorrow to just you know go for a walk in the forests that are here in vancouver and uh just on the local mountains and just taking a moment to enjoy
1: yeah, there's nothing like the West Coast walks, I'll tell you. Just nothing like it. Um, I'm so grateful that the three of you had made time for us. And, and uh, in each of your applications, thanks for what you're doing to, to drive these conversations and the research and, and actual action on uh, protecting uh, our home planet, uh, so to speak. That was uh, Nicole Rycroft joining us from Canopy. And you can check out more on what they're doing on their website uh, at Canopy Planet. Dot org. Uh, Justin Reimer is the CEO of Emissions Reduction Alberta. And of course, you can check out their website as well at eralberta.ca. And we'll have that in the show notes. And then, of course, Dr. Gina Martin joining us, assistant professor and researcher out of Athabasca University. And you can check him out online at athabascau.ca. In advance to the three of you, happy Earth Day 2023. You too, Ryan. Real talkers, let us know what you're going to be doing. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, it could be just something simple. Like, it could be something simple in the home. But imagine if every single one of us did one little thing putting the producer of this show on the spot.
2: <laughs> you don't have to.
1: I like that from, from Nicole. She says, as a professional tree hugger, I'm going to be doing I love, this. I laughed. Uh, <laughs> to, in, my, in my mind, tree hugger is a compliment, not an insult. It's if, mine if, too. If you're not out there hugging trees, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, what are you going to be doing for Earth Day, if anything?
2: Because hugging lampposts is it's just cold metal, right? <laughs> um, we, like, my partner, just, they're like, Earth Day is like every day. Like, literally two weeks ago, she just incorporated this app into our phone, which literally, like, when we buy a product... You just scan the QR code and it literally tells you like, if you're buying food, it tells you if it's good for you, but it also tells you where it was made, how it was packaged, really? how it said, yeah, what it was made of. And then it gives you a percentage of like how good this is, how green it is, how good it is for the earth, the environment. Um, and then you get an overall percentage of everything you bought like in the month. And it basically tells you if you're a good or bad person. No, but really, like, (laughs) I'm worried about that. But I mean, Earth Day is like every day with her. We're always trying to find ways to be a little more efficient. I mean, I think we should talk about that more. Is some people, like, we were talking about the heater you just installed, like, it's not applicable for everyone. But we're trying to do the most we can for what we can afford.
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, but there also needs to be uh, compelling, like, like Justin talking about. You know, there, there's. You know, there, there doesn't have to be necessarily economic compromise. There can. It's not a bad thing. It's a very good and smart and intuitive and positive thing to point out. Mm-hmm. There can be economic benefit uh, from investing in green technology and sustainable projects. Yeah. And, and of course it. It provides, and, and I love the angle on youth mental health because that is a thing. Um, you know, uh, the, the idea of hope and opportunity, and and all of these that will that will drive you know young people forward and mm-hmm. what they they choose to do in their careers and and how they you know are in their personal lives. I love this from Tara Lynn. Oh, first of all, let me read this. She says the roundtable has been so encouraging. We're so glad we could have done an Earth Day roundtable on how like all the forests are disappearing and the ocean levels are rising. Just and, so
2: depressing.
1: <laughs> you know, we're all gonna die. Uh, but I like hearing more about what people are doing about it but Tara Lynn says I was raised to reuse and recycle my grandparents generation always did that but sadly you know it seemed like the world's messaging was to kind of make fun of the so-called old people who would make Christmas decorations from hangers and milk jugs no kidding Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. isn't that true like I I remember someone of my friends finding out that you know I tried to bring this is again this is a small thing. I don't think I'm a hero. I don't think I'm, you know, but like bringing home the Ziploc plastic bags that the sandwiches yeah. to like rinse them out and reuse the Ziploc bags. Like yeah. it's just like a tiny small little thing. Ziploc
2: bags were like the first thing to go when I me and you my partner got kind of married. Oh, it, yeah. we don't even use them anymore Like we use things like little mason jars or whatever, well, but You just then,
1: bring entire loaves of bread here and just make <laughs> sandwiches in the yeah.
2: But also like plastic bags were the second thing. Like we don't have a plastic bag in the house anymore. Everything's yeah. reusable, take bags, There's a yep. ba- there's a bag of bags in the car. So, yeah. Yeah. Mark Doran,
1: uh, fierce advocate, uh, says, you know, you got to think like cancer, Parkinson's, ALS, MS. Uh, you know there's ties uh, to breathing methane he says maybe Albertans will get motivated to reform the energy regulator to reduce these harmful emissions from upstream oil and gas hey Mark a note for you and everybody else uh, we, we've been corresponding with the uh, auditor general of Alberta in that office and we believe that we're going to have an interview coming up we're going to talk about the look that the auditor general took into the uh, energy regulator and some, some pretty, uh, significant findings there. We're, we're working hard behind the scenes to coordinate that interview. Uh, it's easy to get people off the record. It's a little tougher to get them on the record, but we know you expect that of this show and we want to deliver there. Um, it's great to hear from Barry from the Goat Barn. It's been a while since I've seen him in the chat. This guy Barry has been just a longtime supporter of our talk shows and a real beauty. Uh, is he is he does keep goats. As a matter of fact, uh, we were raising funds for charity. This was a few years ago. A rooftop patio party that raised about forty five grand. No big deal. And uh, Barry mm-hmm. agreed. He, Barry said uh, he'd like to donate a goat to the patio party. He said you can put it on a spit and everyone can roast it. He said, or we can just have it live running around on the roof. Your choice. So that was Barry. Johnny didn't like that one. I'm horrified. Like, yeah, people what chose to let <laughs> people chose to let the goat live. Well, he I said, would he hope so. <laughs> he says I
2: think there,
1: he said I think there were recent plans for another straw plant near Edmonton. He said, but I don't see it being viable. Interesting. That that story out of Vegreville that caught my attention with hemp. That's pretty interesting. I think people have always sort of thought that this you know that the hemp product movement has, has just been like a bunch of hippies that are trying to find ways to to grow more pot. It's really not, but that's like a complete misunderstanding mm-hmm. of the potential of hemp and the history of
2: hemp. You could literally make like anything out of hemp. Hemp like- has
1: been used for decades. Yeah. And, and th- you, you could even argue in some context for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's a plant that's, that's greatly underestimated. Uh, by the way, speaking of pot, if you missed our 420 episode, a special episode yesterday with Professor Tim Caulfield talking about CBD, uh, are you one of those using the topical creams, the lotions, the potions, the oils that swear by them? Uh, Caulfield says that he believes the public is being misled on the marketing of it he says he's not anti-cannabis he says he's not anti-cbd but he says we need to take a closer look at it it was a great conversation Mm -hmm. and then Jody uh, Giesreimer formerly known as Jody Emery Canada's princess of pot joined us uh, (laughs) to tell us why she was bummed out about 420
2: yeah we had an amazing tiktok up too here's a little window so tiktok is very strict about drugs oh is that right so our tiktok got taken down yesterday oh really yeah the first one it said abusive or drug related content so i looked into it i'm like whoa that
1: was the one where i was taking the huge bong rip no oh that was the other one
2: it wasn't even like that clip we weren't (laughs) even talking about (laughs) anything it was yeah so anyways if you want to see our shorts and everything from yesterday youtube or instagram
1: okay okay um we're, by the way, in today's edition of Trash Talk, we do have today's Trash Talk, it, two submissions, uh, Michael and Avery, uh, you've been tapped on the shoulder here, and, and you're coming in hot. They're both responses to interviews on the show this week. So that's kind of interesting. That's the theme of Trash Talk this week. These are responses taking to Taking aim at guests. Taking aim at guests. Wow. And uh, we, we love and respect our guests and appreciate them. But also, you know that you step into an arena like this, and you say something that's going to push people's buttons A show like this, uh, there's an opportunity for the audience to respond and that's what you sign up for and so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, It was great to have the good doctor joining us, Gina Martin and of course I do want to remind you that she is doing this research she's chairing and quarterbacking this national research project out of Athabasca University that's right, it's Canada's open university, it's dedicated uh, to the removal of barriers that restrict access to and success in University-level studies. AU is increasing equality of educational opportunities for adult learners worldwide. Well, how are they doing it, you ask? You just go to athabascau.ca and you click on the About AU link and you can learn more about exactly how it all works. Tens of thousands of Canadians Look to Athabasca University for a flexible, intuitive approach to post-secondary education. And it's one of Canada's top research universities. The proof is everywhere, including guests featured right here on Real Talk. You can learn more about how AU works by checking out athabascau.ca. Speaking of audience feedback... You know Mm -hmm. the tweet I'm talking about. Would you load up the tweet for me here, Johnny? This is from a real talker that was in touch with us. A big shout out to Kathy, uh, KDB79 on Twitter. Give her a follow. She says, after listening to Jesperson rave for years about the sourdough cinnamon buns from Friesen Brothers, I finally got a chance to try one today when we stopped there in Hinton, the gateway to Jasper National Park. Nice job, Kathy. She says, I'm very happy to say Jesperson was not wrong. It's going to be hard to save the other one for my husband, Well, I hope that Kathy's husband had an opportunity to try one as well. But uh, if he didn't, hey, that's the way the cinnamon bun crumbles, as they say. Kathy, next time, buy four or even eight from the 16 Friesen Brothers locations across the province of Alberta. We're really proud to partner with them. Speaking of proud partnerships, we talk a lot about Complete Care Restoration. That's the team, the incredible team. We know them all on first name basis. It's like Kelly and all the guys that work with Kelly. They started this company in a garage in Edmonton. And over the years, it has developed into the most trusted name in disaster restoration In Alberta, you can find them online at CompleteCareRestoration.ca. The next time that you encounter a nightmare, we hope it never happens. But if it does, if you hear that shriek from the basement when your kids go down to take the laundry out of the dryer and they realize there's like ankle deep water down there and you go, oh, boy, remember. Complete care restorations there to figure it out for you. Mold and asbestos removal, as well as construction and renovation projects, they do it all. You can give them a shout at 780 454 0776. Are you one of the Albertans that's paying too much for power right now? Are you looking at your natural gas bill and wondering, quite frankly, how you're going to meet your Families' needs when it comes to the finances this month, take two seconds to check out parkpower.ca. You can compare rates on electricity, natural gas, and internet. One of the coolest parts about Park Power is this company gives back to charities and nonprofits where they live and work. So when you sign up to take your business there, you get to choose which charity is going to benefit from your electricity business. Isn't that amazing? We chose our charity. You can choose yours. It's a personal approach. We love that take on philanthropy from Park Power. The promo code REALTALK23 can knock a few bucks, up to 150 bucks, off your first bill at parkpower.ca. Also, a big shout-out before we get to Trash Talk to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. The one thing that they want us to remind you right now is that they're hiring. That's right. They're getting into their busiest time of year. You can check out what they're doing with Home and commercial and industrial and agricultural solar power systems in Western Canada. That's BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Northwest Territories. But they're looking for installers. They're looking for people who've either got their ticket or apprentices working their way there. If you want to travel Western Canada or work from one of their home offices, their head offices in Edmonton and Kamloops, If you want to be participating in getting Canada closer to sustainable energy goals, closer to net zero, why not go to kubienergy.ca today? You can follow the links to send them your resume, your CV. You can be the next team member at Kubi Renewable Energy. You ready for this?
2: As ready as I'll ever be.
1: You didn't answer the question. Yes. Here we go, John. I'm ready. (laughs) Every single (sighs) Friday. It feels like a Friday in here, doesn't it? This is good. Well, it is Friday. We'll, we'll let people know as well. Again, just a reminder, we're off next week. You can catch the best of Real Talk. There are going to be special episodes, special edition episodes you won't want to miss. Let us know what you think about the format. It's something that we're experimenting with. We think you're going to like it. These mm-hmm. are some of the interviews that really made an impression on us. Like days or weeks or even months after the fact, we're still thinking about them. You know those ones? The ones that people send us the emails and they say, when when Johan Hari said this, or when Bean Gill." said that Mm -hmm. or when quick dick mcdick said this it made me think that we also get emails from folks sometimes that well maybe aren't as flattering they're not as positive maybe they want to clap back at a guest that's used this platform to put something out that they don't feel is accurate or right And right now, an opportunity, courtesy of our friends at Local Environmental Services, to showcase a couple of those bits of correspondent. Every single Friday, Local Environmental uh, presents a tradition we call the TRASH TALK! Yeah, that's right. And this one from Michael, who says, I was listening to Adam Sweet on your show, and he was talking about Alberta's climate plan and talking about hydrogen. And to be honest, Jesperson, he pissed me off. He came across as a propagandist, a marketer, and I believe that in three ways this could hurt the province. Wasting money and resources in time, transition time I'm talking about, and thirdly, giving false hope. Or expectation around the next big thing. You know, the very first things out of his mouth are Alberta oil and gas, and then hydrogen, and then carbon capture. All of this, says Michael, unsustainable and unviable. He says any talk about Alberta oil and gas always comes from a place that ignores that the rest of the world also produces and supplies it. Michael just throwing punches today. He says Alberta's oil and gas is not special. And as the world transitions, it will be needed and desired less and less He says, we're living and looking at the past with conversations like this. Now, carbon fiber, which Adam talked about, is indeed a growing and expanding industry. But the issue gets back to this. It can be produced from anywhere in the world. Now, Adam did talk about shipping bitumen and all of the emissions that go along with that. And you should listen to the interview if you missed it. He says, but let's also talk about hydrogen. Back to Michael. Any funding toward hydrogen projects outside of research is a waste of money. It's a greenwashing. It's a siphon for corporate ownership, its executives and investors to steal government cash through subsidies, grants and other fiscal mechanisms. You know Edmonton's hosting like this big, huge carbon uh, convention next week. The timing of Michael's email very interesting. He says hydrogen production Alberta's never going to be a global producer or exporter of hydrogen. It's unstable. It's expensive to transport. And he says in Alberta's at a massive disadvantage because we don't border an open body of water. He says our Albertans going to be happy when we start pulling water from our rivers, lakes, and underground reservoirs to produce hydrogen. Michael says anybody pushing hydrogen or championing at this point in time for commercial use is no different than the monorail salesman from The Simpsons. Monorail. 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 It's going for Monorail. From- Michael says the public does need to be aware of greenwashing, Jesperson. We need to call out companies and organizations behind them as well as our elected representatives to sign off on these things as they're doing it, reminding them they could do more harm than good. He signs off. Thank you for your time. A very polite Michael. I wonder if we're going to hear back from someone on this one, on Michael's take on hydrogen. And what about this one from Antagonized Avery? She says, honestly, guys, I was a little disappointed in Jody Geese Ramsey on the show, on your 420 episode. As somebody who is strongly in favor of decriminalization, harm reduction, and safe supply, I want there to be strong voices to advocate for these issues. Instead... Jody's interview felt like a hypocritical woe is me kind of a moment filled with exceptionism and unacknowledged privilege. She bemoaned how unfair and corrupt it was that the government and public service officials profited from cannabis sales in the early days of legalization. That's a fair point. It oozes corruption and inequality but with zero self-reflection or acknowledgement about she herself profiting from the cannabis industry. I mean, when Jody was charged with multiple drug-related charges pleading guilty in 2017, she and her then-husband claimed it was for activism, and the justice, Leslie Chapin, who tried her case, acknowledged it as that much. She said she had to recognize how much profit was made. It made Jody come across as bitter about the tide turning from her profiting to other people profiting. If she was truly doing this in the name of activism, wouldn't she have set up as a non-profit with the proceeds going back into the community she claims to support? Avery says, finally, the thing that was so unbelievable that prompted me to write this email when jody likened her cannabis retail manager license declined to a same-sex marriage activist being denied the right to marry after legalization what the actual fuck this is giving me danielle smith claiming unvaccinated people are the most discriminated against in history vibes you know jody from one cis white hetero woman to another your fucking privilege is showing and you need to check it how is a license to run a business in any way the same as being allowed to marry somebody you love? You've got a million other ways to make a living. You know, this community has been discriminated against, persecuted, and killed for simply loving someone. How dare you invoke the struggles of another community who objectively have been persecuted magnitudes more than the cannabis-using community to whine about not being able to run a business in Ontario? She says, honestly... Honestly, go to your nature retreat on Bowen Island, one of the most white woman privileged things I've ever heard, and reflect on how you can amplify other marginalized voices instead of using them for your pity party about not making more money off the people you claim to advocate for. That from a very antagonized Avery nobody pulling punches today my second week in a row landing an email into the plants behind me he, he's gone. that's another three points for this guy friends you can send us a trash talk anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. it is proudly pre- presented by our friends at local environmental services the very best of real talk coming at you next week we're back live the week after with a lineup of interviews you're not going to want to miss stay safe out there this weekend Happy Earth Day, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer Josh Dunford. Technical Producer John Hicks. General Manager Katie Cook Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Derlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd. Website Design Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supreme Dubetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, and Anne Castleman. Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Metis settlements and the Metis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.